Hello and welcome once again to the Midwest Football Podcast. This is your home for the thinking fans coverage for the upper Midwest NFL teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith coming to you from the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan, in the heart of the Great Lakes where we hate draft lotteries and it is mutual. Here's my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Brian, how are things today? Hello, Midwest Landers. Uh, things are going double thumbs up here in uh, sunny San Antonio, despite the flooding torrential rains from last night, which was interesting how fast it floods on the Riverwalk. But uh, hey, not everyone hates the draft lotteries here. Some of us are Blackhawks fans. That's all I'm saying. And some of them down there are Spurs fans. That is a very good point. <laughs> the two cities I represent most are probably uh, very much celebratory. And uh, apparently neither of them want to see LeBron in uh, free agency either. Who knew? Apparently Duncan and uh, Jordan cast large shadows. Well, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. And thanks to our returning listeners as well for coming back and spending time with us once again. We're recording this on Tuesday, May 30th, and today we're going to go over some surprising personnel decisions with possible Midwest implications. We're going to check the first week of OTAs, and we've got some more Dynasty fantasy football coverage. This time, the biggest winners and losers among rookies from the NFL draft. To get in on the conversation, email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, even if it's just to tell us how we're doing. But that first big story that we absolutely want to get to is DeAndre Hopkins. The cards just flat out cut him, which blew my mind. I am still shocked they could not find a trade partner. I understand he has a, quote, big cap hit because when he took that contract, it was one of the largest in the league for a receiver. But after the Christian Kirk contract, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even top 10 anymore. So I'm just shocked that nobody would take it on. The worst roster in the NFL got worse. (laughs) I I heard that nobody was going to offer a significant trade because he was going to be a $20 million cap hit. Everybody knew that they uh, didn't want him in Arizona, so they just figured, forget it. We'll wait for them to cut him. I mean, it it reminds me of like, it wasn't more, Amari Cooper getting traded to Cleveland, where you'd think that their contract would suppress their value, like which it did to like fifth rounders for those guys. But you'd think DeAndre Hopkins, who was really good last year when he came off his suspension, would still, you know, be worthy of uh, someone picking up that contract for a fifth or sixth rounder. You'd think that he would even grab like a seventh rounder or like what the uh, Eagles did. They just like, hey, Detroit, we'll take a 2025 fifth rounder or we'll give you something, you know, way out there, fourth round, whatever it was. You know what I mean? You'd think that someone would have paid something like that just to get first in line, but I haven't looked at the cap space issues. Do you know how much how much time is left on his contract? Because it's got to be towards the end. Zero, he was cut. Well, before he was cut. <laughs> when they were trying to shop, was he one year left, two years left? I apologize for uh, springing this on you. But now I'm kind of curious because that kind of matters. And I wonder how much like dead cap space it has. But it's interesting, too, because... You know, there, I'm curious what the possible landing spots are him because it feels like he's a championship or bust caliber player that probably wants to sign with a championship or caliber team. 
But I feel like most of those Super Bowl contending teams probably are up against the cap. So teams like, you know, Kansas City, who let Tyreek walk, so they didn't pay him. Green Bay let uh, uh, traded. Uh, well, sorry, I didn't let him walk. They traded him. Ty- Tyreek Hill and Devonte Adams, so they didn't have to pay him. You know, and then um, teams like Philadelphia traded for AJ Brown. They're paying him, and the Chargers are paying two guys twenty million per and stuff. So, like, I'm kind of kind of curious. So, like, talking about, I'm talking about who's probably can't afford them. Who do you think he could go to? What, what are the list of possible landing spots? Your- it looks like DeAndre Hopkins, who is about to enter the second year of a two-year deal. So he was on his last year anyway. Okay. Uh, this was going to be his last year. Yeah, that's actually one of the biggest things here. First of all, what the heck? Because the only thing I'm hearing that makes any sense is DeAndre Hopkins was such a locker room cancer that they were willing to pay him money to get rid of him. That's not something that was really in character for him coming into last year. He did have the big PED bust. He was not great, but he was very good last year until he got hurt. The biggest thing that I've heard as far as possible landing spots is he has only had serious negotiations with two teams so far, and that is Kansas City and Buffalo. Really? The two? Okay. I think I might have said they can't afford him, but maybe they can. Well, that's well, going to be the kicker because he's pretty much gone on record saying he still thinks he's worth multi-year contract 20 to 30 million a year. I mean, if Odell can get set 15 million per year without even playing last year, Hopkins did better. Yeah, so I don't know if... DeAndre Hopkins is only had serious negotiations with two teams because there aren't that many teams that have interest in him at the cap figure that he wants to be paid at, or if it's because he's not even picking up the phone with anybody else. Well, considering if it's Kansas City and Buffalo, those are two of the biggest Super Bowl contenders that arguably have weaknesses at receiver. I mean, they have Travis Kelsey and Stefan Diggs, but Neither team really has a true reliable number two option, unless you consider like a rookie tight end, Dalton Kincaid, or, you know, I don't know, Gabriel Davis or Scantling, you know, really impressed a lot of people last year. I think Juju Smith-Schuster, I I heard a stat fantasy stat. He was like the best non-Tyreek, non-Travis Kelsey receiver in fantasy beyond in, in the Mahomes era beyond those two guys. And last year, he put up 900 yards and three touchdowns, and it wasn't even worth starting. So, I mean, I, th- I could see Hopkins going there uh, if they can find the cap space for it um, in Buffalo, too. Like, oh, those two schemes over Cincinnati, who has, you know, Jamar Chase and Higgins and Boyd and drafted two guys. Yeah. I really feel like Kansas City is the best fit for him because they don't have that sort of intermediate work the routes find the hole in the zone kind of receiver they've got all these speed guys uh buffalo it sounds really scary because they really only have they've got stefan Diggs. it's a big drop off but i'm not sure there's enough room in the receivers uh room in buffalo for the egos of both Diggs and hopkins i, I i'll never forget and i'm sure all the vikings fans listen will never forget watching 
the Vikings, I think it was they lost a playoff game and Diggs, who had like 100 yards in the game, was immediately complaining that he didn't get enough passes thrown his way. He didn't even like really care they lost. So I could see adding DeAndre Hopkins to that room would be a little rough unless, you know, maybe maybe Diggs has matured over the last three years. You know, I don't know. It's a fine line because you want a receiver that feels like if the ball is in his hands, you've got a better chance to win. When it becomes, I want my stats and I don't care about anybody else, now you've crossed the line. Yeah, and I do think that either of those two places would be good. They have uh, established quarterback, established coaching staff in place, you know, where I think danger spots for Hopkins would be the teams that could arguably have the cap space to sign them. It's a weird thing because obviously Chicago has the most cap space left after their free agent spending. Added DJ Moore, you know, added Chase Claypool and has Darnell Mooney, which, you know, as great as an upgrade as that has been over the last two years, it still projects as an average receiver core at best. And, you know, you could add Hopkins to that, but then it's like, who's the alpha dog? They're all new. You know, Fields is still establishing himself. Uh, you know, Everflus is in his second year. I, I don't know if that's a good environment, despite the Bears fan in me wanting to see the Bears get better. I, I think, you know, we can talk about what I want Chicago to do more, more later. Do, do you think be a good fit in Detroit without, especially because J-Mo and St. Brown, or do you think he overlaps with St. Brown's skill set? I think he largely overlaps with St. Brown. St. Brown is a receiver who needs a lot of volume. They're both kind of the same where they both do incredible work and are among the best in the NFL at everything they do except for deep speed. Yeah. And the thing is, St. Brown is entering his third year and he's already a bona fide stud. I I don't think you need a guy to take away from him, to be honest. I think they need complimentary pieces, you know, like when Jamison Williams comes off of his suspension and stuff. So I I agree um, with that. And uh, what do you think about him going to Cleveland and reuniting with uh, Deshaun Watson? I think that would be a really interesting fit. You would have to watch how much of an overlap there'd be with Amari Cooper because they already have deep speed guys. They've got their slot receiver now we talked about in uh, free agency. Mm -hmm. So it sounds good on paper. The one that I think might work actually better from a game standpoint, taking aside the financials and whether uh, Hopkins would actually want to be there is actually the Colts. Because they only have the one receiver. They've got a game-breaking athletic quarterback that they're already really liking. More on that later. Uh, That's kind of scary. I like that fit because I think Hopkins is basically a better version of Pittman. And they might be a little overlapping, but Pittman might be able to learn how to use his body from playing with Hopkins the way like Alshon Jeffrey did from uh, Brandon Marshall in Chicago. And outside him, you got what? Like the comp. Yeah, right? I mean, that would be a good combo, even if it's just a year or two. And then it helps develop the quarterback by giving him more options. And then like Alec Pierce, he's a big guy, but he's a speed threat. He's more of a straight line guy, even though he's taller. He doesn't doesn't look like your typical speed guy. And then who is the rookie Downs? He's just a slot guy. He's an undersized guy. He's very different. And I I think Mm -hmm. that would be a really good landing spot. And It would be interesting. Yeah, they've got receivers that can do other things, but they haven't proven that they can be more than a splash here and there. 
that if you had two guys like that that are volume receivers, Pittman and Hopkins, then it frees up all those other guys to be the catch and run guy for three plays a game and the slot guy and the deep guy doing the 40 yard oh, dashes. Right. I like it. They those guys, and then they come off the bench, and all they have to do is compliment the two receivers. They don't have to be everything that you need them to be with their second or third round draft capital. I really like that fit. Yeah, speaking of uh, guys that might mysteriously be available with uh, Ohio ties, what do you think about Chase Young getting his fifth-year option declined? I mean, first of all, let's hypothesize why that happened. Well, I think he has same draft class as Okuda. I think he went one spot before him as a, when the Buckeyes went one, two, and three. If you count Joe Burrow as a Buckeye, which everyone in Ohio does, I don't think people in LSU do. But uh, technically, he <laughs> went to Ohio State, played like three snaps. Chase Young, is, he was a promised to be like the better version of Joey and Nick Bosa because he came in right in that line of Buckeye defensive ends, and he was the best of all of them. And he's had trouble staying healthy, and I think that's part of it. But also, look at the contracts Washington signed their other defensive linemen. I think Montez Sweat, they signed uh, – I forget the names of them, but there was two. I think it was Payne and the other um, – the Alabama guy, I think it was, um, defensive tackle. Those guys are getting paid, like, monster money. I think they might have three guys getting paid 15 to $20 million per – so it's going to be hard for Washington to pay Chase Young, even with paying Sam Howell starting quarterback, you know, less than what we get made to pay this to do this podcast, to be honest, or whatever, you know, fifth round <laughs> quarterback gets paid. But I think that uh, it's a combination of hasn't stayed healthy. And when he has played, he's been good, but he hasn't been great. And it's one of those things where he's hitting into year four and he's never really lived up to his draft billing, in my opinion. And um, it's interesting because he seems like he's one of those guys that might end up being a solid, good NFL defensive lineman, but people consider him a bust because he didn't do he didn't live up to being all world as he was promised, like a Jadavian Clowney type, who was always very good, as we talked about previously on previous episodes but was never like the slam dunk number one, put it all together. He never turned into Miles Garrett. True. Um, I don't think that this precludes Washington from retaining him, but it would have to be at a uh, reduced figure. There would be a Washington's not going to pay him if they have to pay him elite defensive line money. They could bring him back after this year. But most likely he's going to be finding a new home somewhere as a free agent entering his mid to late 20s. He's going to be one of those 27-year-old free agents that we talked about. I still think that um, it's going to be hard for him to come back to Washington because he has the high draft capital and NFL demands pass rushers. I mean, if we find some of the contracts signed for average defensive ends, I mean, I forget the two guys in Tennessee a couple of years ago. These guys were getting 18 million per, and they were just, I mean, maybe above average at best. I, I don't even remember their names because they were honestly never really that good. So I don't think they were really worth remembering. I still think Chase Young is going to get paid beyond that if he's walked, if they let him walk away in a free agency. Plus, he's in a contract year now. Like, he could really earn it. 
I mean, the only way he's going to make less money is if he probably plays injured all year and Washington can uh, play play a game of chicken with him and talk him back into a lower contract than the fourth year, fifth year option or whatever, you know? That might be what they think they're going to try and do. I mean, this is Washington, who's been one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the last 20 years. They've been a farm team for a lot of the NFL. So what you're saying is they think they can do it, but they're not that smart and they probably can't because they didn't think it through. And I think that's probably the likely scenario because I feel like Chase Young's agents probably playing checkers with them while they're playing chess. Shoot, I got that. I got my analogy backwards. They're playing checkers. So he's playing chess with them. You know, <laughs> it's not it's a little bit less advanced of a strategy game, in my opinion. But uh, what do you think about possible fits? Let's see, let's just say assume he walks after after this year, or if they trade him during the season just to get something out of him. If he well, let's, early if we're being real, then just about any former Buckeye uh, is in play for the Cleveland Browns. But I don't think that's the best fit, really. I mean, look at who they've got at defensive end. They're good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Miles Garrett and what, Zedarius Smith? <laughs> yeah. They're doing okay. I, I don't think they need to make the splash on uh, Chase Young as a situational pass rusher. No. <laughs> it's their third guy. If he's looking for a team that uh, is in a championship window legitimately, what do you think about Cincinnati? I think it's a good fit for him. I mean, they drafted Miles Murphy in the first round. Um, he used to play in Ohio at Ohio State, in the state of Ohio. And uh, I believe Sam Hubbard was on the other end of the line with uh, Chase Young after um, Nick Bosa left for that last year and uh, that Chase Young played. And Hubbard was pretty good. And I, I, I feel like there might be a connection there where he could talk him into it. And then Hubbard and um, Miles Murphy project to be decent all around power uh, defensive ends that are more run first and then they can get some pressure on. But having a guy like Chase Young that can really get after the quarterback would really round out that defensive end and help get after Pat Mahomes and uh, Josh Allen and uh, Trevor Lawrence in playoff games, you know, or, or maybe Justin Herbert or all these elite AFC quarterbacks. It's great if you can get that third defensive end because you, then you can rotate them and keep them a little bit healthier, a little bit fresher. Yeah, and Miles Murphy, he, he's a rookie. He hasn't even played yet. We don't know what he's going to be. You know, he was a late round first first rounder, so I, I could see that being good. And then, um, so the guys like Hubbard and Murphy, I think they're probably big enough to kick into a defensive tackle role to brush the passer on third down too. So it, it's a good situation where I think adding Chase Young wouldn't even impede the progress of someone like Miles Murphy. It might enhance it because they can be used more situationally with him and Hubbard. I like that, but here's something else that you'd like. What do you think about uh, Chase Young in Chicago? Well, this has been uh, something I've been excited about because uh, first of all, when he was drafted at two instead of three, I was so excited that they kept that Washington kept him out of Detroit going after us twice a year, which was nice. So it'd be fun to get him on the Bears side. Um, also, the Bears basically did everything to address every other position on the roster, including the water boy, except defensive end. It's almost <laughs> like we've gone out of our way to leave the defensive end open. Like hey, They signed want- Bobby Boucher, but they didn't sign a defensive end. <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know they said like hey, man this guy's got good game film uh, at uh louisiana tech or whatever but uh and then some high quality h2o but 
we don't need to rush the passer if we want to win the games, right? You know, we we can throw seven defensive tackles out there, uh, but uh, maybe we should throw out a defensive end, at least one. Just throw it out there. It was kind of interesting because it was one of my favorite theoretical draft day trades I kept seeing out there was um, Washington floating out Chase Young to move up from, I think it was 18 where they were drafting, to uh, nine to get offensive linemen or someone. And then the Bears would get Chase Young and the pick like 18 where they could have gotten one of the big three defensive or four big four offensive tackles. So I have a dream this afternoon. Yeah, it was definitely one of those too good to be true. But also in the same way the Bears acquired DJ Moore, they could have acquired Chase Young by eating the cap hit because the Bears actually are a good fit because A, they need a defensive end. And B, they have the most cap space by 10 million last I checked. So they have the they have the cap space to sign him. I mean, they could sign DeAndre Hopkins too, but I don't think he wants to go there. And I think we already have a crowd enough wide receiver room and we don't pass the ball that much in the first place. So let's see how fields adjust before we start Wait, throwing in. Bears, crowded wide receiver room? What? Okay, it's not that good. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think we should let preclude uh, Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool from stopping us from signing uh, wide receiver upgrades. So that's a fair point. I might be getting a little out of control with this. We've upgraded our uh, weapons, yeah. you know, but yeah. I, I think the money would be whether, better. Yeah, whether Hopkins recognizes the improvement in is willing to pick up the phone if the Bears call is another question, but yeah. Um, yeah. I just think that Chase Young or any defensive end would be way better uh, spend expenditure of the remaining cap space, especially considering how much we upgraded the defensive lo- tackles, the linebackers, all the capital we've thrown at the defensive backs the last couple of years through the drafts. Why not pair him with Ndokwe or one of the other guys we talked about last week and then get a Justin Houston type or, uh, you know, or um, Melvin Ingram to throw in there as a situational and rotate. I mean, I think the Bears – could legitimately manufacture a great pass rush if we just start grabbing these guys off the scrap heap. You know who I'd rather see him paired with? Who's in Hutchinson. Oh, that would be scary. See, we already talked about this. I don't want to see him in Detroit, but (laughs) from the impartial football analyst in me, that would be awesome. Having him in, uh, I mean, he was arguably a better prospect than Hutchinson, and Hutchinson was the best prospect of his class. And I think that would be amazing to see. And then you get, uh, I think you kicked James Houston into a situational role, and he played pretty well last year. He played and, out of his mind last year. He had almost like sustainably. Not almost. Uh, I, I, I can't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, yeah. it felt like, eight sacks in 50 snaps um like like he had sacks in i think four or five of his first 10 or 15 snaps yeah i mean that's not going to continue but understandable and uh but if he's even a fraction of that as a situational pass rusher and then you add another guy like chase young and you rotate people out and i mean what got me when they didn't just pass on Jalen Carter because they obviously didn't want Jalen Carter in their locker room, mm-hmm. but they really didn't add another significant defensive lineman until the mid late third round where they drafted a defensive tackle that I thought was reach. significantly overdrafted. Same. 
because they didn't have a pick for the next, I think, round and a half or whatever it was. Yeah. So it was like, hey, we want to address this with a meaningful pick. Who's the highest guy on our board? Bam. Um, no, I'd much rather if we didn't get our guy and I feel like the championship window is wide open right now for the lions and they've got some cap space left. Why not use it? What's the worst that can happen? You structure the deal. So you get rid of them after a year. Well, and I think that if you're chase young, this would be a much better fit than Chicago and Cincinnati. I think they could probably pay him a little more than Cincinnati can and maybe not as much as Chicago, but I think it's a much better win now situation for all the improvements. I talked about Chicago. They were the team that had the number one overall pick in the draft. You're talking about a three win team trying to turn it into a, you know, 13 win team. Detroit had a winning record last year, came on strong. They have legitimately shown that they are a good team. They already have a defensive end to take away the pressure off of Chase Young. I mean, just imagining those two guys going after, you know, poor Jordan Love or Kirk Cousins who are just kind of sitting in the back pocket as sitting ducks. You know, Justin Fields, he'll run away, but uh, or he'll just hold the ball for seven seconds and get sacked by both of them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And um, Oh, those were nice ribs he used to have. Right. And even though Cincinnati is a top two, top three team in the AFC, you could argue Detroit is a top four team in the NFC right now behind the Niners who don't have a quarterback, the Eagles who are arguably unquestionably number one, and the Cowboys who are, you know, the Cowboys are going to Cowboy. So who knows? And, uh, you know, I think we think Minnesota is taking a step back. Green Bay is taking a step back. Uh, we think uh, the Giants maybe overachieved a little bit. And um, so it comes down to Seattle versus Detroit for number five. And uh, I think uh, – Chase Young would really put Detroit over that and possibly into that elite three of the NFC. I think it could happen, but let's pick up the tempo a little bit with a little bit uh, shorter segments here on some of the things that are happening in OTAs. Let's start with the Lions who ran uh, their quarterbacks through the paces the first week of uh, OTAs and the best quarterback that they had there was Nate Sudfeld, because Jared Goff was not looking good. Honestly, I'd be more concerned if it was Hendon Hooker who didn't play when he looked the best. <laughs> so at least Sudfeld looked better than him. But yeah. how concerned are you that Nate Sudfeld's outperforming Jared Goff? Well, I'm taking it as a sign that Nate Sudfeld's getting comfortable in the offense. And you know what? I'm okay with that because I trust – all of the support that the Lions have put on this team to golf proof their offense, that Nate Sudfeld can come in and at least not go 0 4 if they have to play him for a month. Now, what was that? Was that a uh, golf stats for the camp or was that the record if he has to play for a month? Um, <laughs> actually, you may uh, say that, but the end of the day, at least the day that was open to uh, the media, was a first and uh, 10 on your own 25 two-minute drill, and Goff went 0-4. Ouch. Couldn't even find wide-open Amon Ross St. Brown? Couldn't or find anybody. just that improved. I mean, that could be that the, the defense all, is that. It's, it's all Brian Branch and Jack Campbell, rookies who never played a game, just, just dominating. 
Maybe. It's, I mean, one of the things that I've said off camera about Jared Goff before is that he crumples like a paper cup at a company picnic if he even imagines there's any pressure of any type on him at all. Whether that is like physical pressure from a pass rush or psychological from Sean McVay making him the scapegoat of the team. Mm-hmm. He suddenly acts like he is colorblind out there. They've got a much better defense for him to pass against in uh, practice. So his practices aren't going to be easy if the defense is, if he's thrown against the ones. You hear that, Chase Young? Sign with one of the other NFC North teams and you get to sack Jared Goff three times a year twice or three times a game twice and really pad the stats for your incoming contract. Just throwing it out well, there. Give, give the offensive line some credit, but... <laughs> the, that's but, a good yeah, offensive I mean, line. That's But that's what concerns me is you know, his stupid gene clicks in when he feels any pressure. And I hope it's not because the lions went out and got a quarterback. And now he feels like he's got to perform to keep his job. Cause last year he didn't have to perform to keep his job. True. They did get a guy in the third round who won't play this year. That's pretty scary. That, that is concerning. If that is legitimately, if he's Carson Wentzing it up when the Eagles drafted hurts, uh, went into the tank. Quarterbacks have been having a much better time over in uh, Indianapolis where Richardson is already pulling away from Gardner Minshew. Like, it's, they're already splitting first-team reps. It's not a contest anymore. Yeah, when uh, the veteran gives way to the rookie before the offseason really even starts, you can already count out Florida man Minshew. So, hey, Minshew, if they cut you, go sign with Tampa. They need a quarterback, and you are the epitome of all Florida men that ever did Florida and returning back to Tampa Bay uh, to take over for Baker, maybe going down to Miami when Tua gets concussed again. Uh, it's win-win. It's hilarious that Florida man is getting beat out by the man from Florida. <laughs> Good observation, especially the guy that wasn't really known for passing the ball. But, you know, hey, he's the investment. He's the future. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Why not? They're Why saying not? he's Richardson's look good throwing, too. So... Uh, if that continues when he starts playing against you know guys in pads that are trying to take away his tendencies, we'll see what happens. Quarterbacks have also looked good in uh, Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett has picked up more of a leadership role that the team's very happy about. And the running backs have reportedly come to camp in incredible shape and ready to go. Thank Jalen War- Warren for... Uh playing well last year and motivating Najee to maybe perform to his uh, first round draft capital from efficiency standpoint. And I'm not surprised to hear that about Pickett. He he came on at the end of the year and he looked pretty good. And even though he might've been overdrafted, he looks the part to be a pretty solid NFL quarterback. I mean, might be Kirk cousins that doesn't crumble in uh, prime time is a pretty good quarterback. <laughs> yep. Really the more surprising story coming out of Pittsburgh was uh, Chandon Sullivan, who the Steelers brought in from Minnesota to be the slot receiver, or sorry, slot corner, has absolutely locked down that position. Like, he's taken it over. It's going to be him unless something catastrophic happens between now and opening day. 
That's good news because uh, contrary to what most people think, the slot cornerback is essentially a starting player at this position nowadays. Speaking of uh, starting with five defensive backs, what's your what do you, what's the word you're hearing out of uh, Minnesota's training camp and defense? Well, they're experimenting and they're splashing in what a four-two-five uh, defense, but it's not the nickel the way you think of it. It actually is a three-safety defense. The Buckeyes played quite a bit of this last year, and they use it as a misdirection defense because it's a typical 4-3, except they bring one of the safeties down to be a box safety. So you've got him playing kind of like an inside or off-ball linebacker, but you've got somebody with secondary coverage skills if the other team comes and passes out of that formation which is great if you've got a terrific safety that can actually do that. Uh, although it does, you do give up a little bit of something if the other team starts running right at you. But it's the NFL. Nobody's doing that very much. Well, that's interesting, especially... I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a natural progression to get a better cover guy in at linebacker nowadays, especially for early pass downs or early downs when they, you know, uh, before you bring in a nickel package on a passing situation. I mean, linebackers are getting smaller. They, you know, it's not uncommon for a 220-pound linebacker to be out there. So why not put a really good safety out there that can cover? And I know they had a couple of good safeties. They had guy they drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. So it kind of makes sense to get them all on the field that way. So it makes sense. You talk about the progression of the linebacker, and I think that makes a lot of sense. We're old enough to remember when outside linebackers used to not be called outside linebackers. They were called strong and weak side linebackers. Yep. And they had different skill sets depending upon whether they had to fight through a tight end to get to the run game. And now those guys basically don't exist. All outside linebackers who aren't pass rush specialists are pretty much what used to be weak side linebackers. They also used to be 250, 260 pounds. It's very rare to get guys like that nowadays. We do laud the uh, cover skills more. So why not safeties? Um, Speaking of Vikings... What's your take? I heard that uh, Delvin Cook wasn't at OTAs after being removed from the logo on Twitter. Well, to uh, the surprise of no one, I <laughs> I think uh, looking at the details, Cook either one of three things is going to happen. Cook is either going to renegotiate his deal for a drastically lower figure. They're going to trade him with, after June first, which Minnesota would probably prefer to do because then they can move on from. Uh, they clear 11 of his $14 million cap hit, or they can cut him and clear nine. You might get, I think you're going to end up with a Hopkins situation where everyone's like, we know you're going to cut it. Well, what's interesting about that situation is they announced it before they did it, unlike the Hopkins one. So I do kind of wonder if it's kind of like a, hey, anybody give us your best offer kind of thing before we cut him. You know, just he's gone. We're not asking much. We just want to clear the cap space. And by the way, that's coming up soon. I mean, we're recording this on May 30th. By the time we uh, edit this and, and, and release it, we already might have an answer for the Dalvin Cook scenario. So that's going to come up fast, you know. So I'm, I'm going to I'm curious to how, see what's going to happen with that. Um, I also heard there was another no show at the OTAs, uh, Mr. Uh, Justin Jefferson. What's your take on that? Right now, I think it's much much ado about nothing for Justin Jefferson. Uh, he's this is his I think he's going into his third season is that right this is fourth season Mm -hmm. okay Uh, which means he's now eligible to start 
negotiating his extension. He does. I'm sure they're going to use the fifth year option if they don't re-sign him. Well, they probably will start with the fifth year option as a bargaining thing. Like next year, it'll be the fifth, but that'll be wrapped in the contract extension. And then right. if they get a longer term deal, then it's more flexible. But yeah, they're going to they're going to exercise it. You know, he's the best receiver in the league right now. Yeah. So part of it is Justin Jefferson just not wanting to get hurt with the contract negotiation beginning uh, in its early stages. Part of it is just their optional team activities. Now, if he misses minicamp in the middle of June, that's another story. But for right now, I'm not reading too much into that. One thing that I am reading into, though, is Packers defensive coordinator Joe Barry. They keep giving him more and more talent to work with, and I think he might have the hottest coordinator seat in the league. That's a very little secret that um, you and I talked about because all the Aaron Rodgers focus and drama is he washed up, is he not? Can he play without De- Devontae Adams and stuff? It was the defense that fell apart. And, and and you were the one who pointed out a couple weeks ago on this podcast that that team was built to play ahead. And when they weren't getting early leads because Rodgers wasn't able to throw to Devontae Adams and he wasn't on page with his rookie receivers yet, that defense was falling apart. And Joe Barry has earned that hot seat, in my opinion, based on the last couple of years for people who have gotten past the Aaron Rodgers drama in Green Bay. It's more than just him going into the darkness to uh, to consult with his witch's cauldron or whatever he did to figure out if he wanted to retire or not. You know, I think his maybe defensive coordinator career might come down to can you have success just running right down the throat of Green Bay the way that teams did last year? It was brutal. And if they can, then you know they're going to be looking for help in the draft as well as in the uh, uh, coaches booth next year. I was going to say, if Joe Barry ends up uh, finding the seat too hot for him and the Packers don't do very well, they might be drafting pretty high next year, which might be fun for their fans because they're going to be uh, hosting the 2025 NFL draft. Do you think they have yeah. enough capacity for it? Well, yeah, that's another. It is kind of funny. Green Bay was awarded last week the 2025 NFL Draft. Next year, it's in Detroit, but then Green Bay. Chicago's had it a number of times, so Minnesota's like, when's our turn? But yeah, the the, uh, Green Bay Packers were like, yes, we got the draft. This is going to be $100 million for the city and the state. And then immediately turned around and asked the state, government for two million dollars to help pay for stuff <laughs> it's like getting the olympics where we can't afford it so we need to build more stadiums that are never going to be used again well actually speaking on that note they're actually going to hold the draft in lambo and the surrounding environs That's so cool. that would actually be an interesting historic experience yeah to that amazing historic stadium up there in green bay the um the team is picking up about two and a half million themselves and they're asking for three or four million in private donations and the state to kick in two million and from what i'm hearing from uh, reports that uh, by people who cover wisconsin state politics that this might be some of the easiest to pass legislation in recent wisconsin memory they're going to get that money did uh do you know if detroit needed to get money for the to host next year good question off the top of my head i don't know 
I'd say proposal, you and I should donate some money to Detroit and go to the draft next year, maybe do a first live pod. I don't know. Just a thought, just, you know, live on the air. We can figure this out, but you know, that's not till next April, but I think it'd be fun. I think you're already up in the area. 2024, late May, Campus Martius Park. And the Midwest Football Podcast with Brian and Joe might hit the road. We'll see. And hopefully the Bears will have 101 again, but this time with uh, the Carolina Panthers draft pick. (laughs) I don't know. Did uh, Arizona already trade their first rounder? That's that's one I want. That's a good point. They have Houston's. They might be drafted one, too, as the Vegas odds project them to be drafting with a Arizona one and Houston two. I don't think Carolina is going to be that bad. I think Carolina might actually be in the running for the AFC South. But that's besides the point. Speaking of the draft, what I noticed was um, there was a lot of change because I did a little dynasty draft rankings of a couple websites averaged out before the draft. And then I updated on another tab right after the draft. And it was kind of interesting to see the general themes of the biggest winners and losers of the draft. The first thing that sticks out in my mind was the two Lukes, both uh, Schoonmaker and Musgrave, as well as Dalton Kincaid, Kincaid and Sam Laporta, all huge draft winners. They all moved up one to two rounds, possibly three in the dynasty rookie draft. Those guys are the uh, not Meyer, so second tier tight ends that all had. I'd say Dalton Kincaid broke the tie with Mayer for number one, but yeah, to your point, Mayer was the one who, of that draft class, was the guy who didn't really win, because it's it's considered a deep tight end draft class, and I think maybe the situation mattered more this year than most, because other than Mayer, who kind of fell one spot below Sam Laporta, but people thought he was going to go the first round, Mayer ended up in a good spot in Vegas, but he didn't really get that bump. But Laporta, he dropped into Detroit where there was a vacancy. Kincaid dropped into Buffalo where, you know, he's got Josh Allen thrown to him. So, and he might be the number two option. Uh, Musgrave, he was drafted number two, but he he moved up 18 spots, which is crazy considering that Green Bay went ahead and drafted uh, Tucker Craft in the next round. And then the biggest winner of the entire draft was Dallas Cowboys taking, I believe it was Luke, am I saying it right? Schoonmaker out of Michigan? Okay. He wasn't even considered one of the big six tight ends uh, in the pre-draft ranking, but I think the Cowboys took him in the third round, and people are getting very excited because he runs a very fast straight line. And uh, Dalton Schultz did very well the last couple of years despite not having any real talent. So that's an interesting thing. So those those guys were all big winners. Um, I'd say one of the biggest winners was Devin A. Chain of uh, the Dolphins. He was their third round pick. He moved up pretty much pretty high, and he was kind of wildly considered to be the number three or four type running back. He definitely moved ahead of the Seahawks, um, Zach Charbonnet, who was drafted higher than him, but he was drafted into the same situation where he has to compete with Kenneth Walker, who was also a second round draft pick. Yeah. A-Chain had, we've talked about it on the podcast before, just the best landing spot, I think, for a back of his his type. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that some of these uh, tight ends that have moved up are still not first or second round picks for the most part in dynasty. Kincaid was the only one. Oh yeah, that's true. Kincaid absolutely solidified his spot as a first round dynasty pick going to eight from about 15th when before. 
Yeah, he moved um, up 15 spots. He was like a third rounder into the back end of the Oh, okay. First. Yeah. Yeah. And as the as the pure pass catcher tight end of the class. Yeah. And then Laporta and Musgrave are in the third round. They both moved up eleven and eighteen spots. Twenty-two could be a second rounder in a larger league. But... That's true. I think I'm going off of my ten team league, but most leagues are twelve. So you're right. That could be a second late second, early third. Yeah, he's right in that in that tier now. Uh, where he he could be had on right around that spot. Yeah. Um, a chain went from a you know mid-second. late first, early second, possible mid second in a smaller in a ten team league to a clear one. Yeah, and what's interesting about um, the A chain was it was a clear cut one two three. It was you know Bijan Gibbs and Charbonnet. And now A-Chain has basically leapfrogged Charbonnet into the number three spot. And he was back and fighting for five with like the guy that was drafted by uh, the, the Saints, Kendry Miller. Uh, he was going right with uh, Kendry Miller, maybe a little bit after him. They're both explosive guys that can pass catch and you know hit home runs, but are a little smaller. I remember with the A-Chain thing, I was teasing my Miami friends that it's too bad they forfeited their first round draft pick to uh, Miami because... He would be a, Gibbs would be a great spot at number twenty one for Miami, but he ended up going way higher to to Lions. Not to bring up a sore subject, but he was probably the best version of what A Chain is. So it could be interesting. He's going to be explosive. And um, when we were talking about the tight ends, the funny part, Schoonmaker, he had the biggest rise, but he rose all the way up to the thirtieth spot, roughly, which basically means he wasn't even draftable before the draft. And now he's on the rug. He would have been an undrafted free agent. And, and now he's going to probably be a mid third round pick, which is interesting. A whole bunch of wide receivers were uh, also uh, big time risers here. But you were mentioning off the air that there's uh, something that they all have in common. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed, Rache Rice and Marvin Mims. A lot of M's and R's in there, but they were all second round draft picks. And this was interesting because I think that tier of receivers had a lot of, um, there was a very flat tier. And I think giving these guys the second round capital really elevated these guys above them, the rest, which I think makes sense because, you know, um, Mingo was the biggest winner moving up 19 spots into the back end of, or top end of the first round or second round, I should say, because he might be Carolina's number one guy. They got, you know, DJ Chark and Thielen out there with a, you know, pair with Bryce Young. Uh, Jaden Reed, he moved up a lot, which is surprising because they have two second year receivers there and a new quarterback. And um, Rache Rice, I mean, that's the, this is the yearly everybody draft the newest Kansas City receiver. Let's go get Mark Mikal Hardman. Let's get Juju Smith Schuster. Let's get MVS, et cetera. And then be just maybe this one will turn up. Exactly. As we talked about earlier, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, there's only one guy out not named uh, Hill or Kelsey that's had over 900 yards under Mr. Mahomes because he dirty little secret. He's so good. He spreads the ball out a lot. And then you got Marvin Mims, who's in a weird spot where Denver allegedly has a great wide receiver core, but apparently they've been shopping Judy and Cortland Sutton. And then Tim Patrick, he can't even stay healthy. So he's been all hype. So who knows? Mims could go be the four guy. He could be the number one guy. Who knows? And the last receiver that of note with a lot of gain was a 660 pound tank Dell going to Houston, which I think that's more of a, it's interesting having a guy that small gain that much, you know, space, but he's moved up to like the late end, late second round type. 
So he's not super high anyways, but it's interesting because I think there's already some draft camp hype between him and uh, CJ Stroud because I don't know if people are sold on um, Mechie coming back or uh, Nico Collins, but hey, Cooks is gone, so the runway's clear for someone to merge. And one thing's for sure, everybody saw CJ Stroud throw all kinds of deep passes. They know he can do it. And that's if Tank Dell with at his diminutive size can get open deep and not just be a catch and run guy, then he really could have a a nice career, if not necessarily Hall of Fame. Let's be but, honest. In my rookie draft when it comes up, I just want to get Tank Dell and Tank Bigsby and just make that into some sort of name involving tanks just for the fun of it. Big tank, little tank, I don't know. But, you know, get creative. Give it the Warren connection. Up here, uh, there's a bit of tank plant up here in uh, Warren, Michigan, which is just north of Detroit for decades. So maybe that'll <laughs> maybe that could be the new name of your football team. There you go. Well, you know, with all these winners, tight ends and mostly receivers, someone had to lose. And the biggest loser of them all was Sean Tucker. This guy fell all the way to the 41. He's borderline fourth rounder, depending on how many people you have now. He ended up an undrafted free agent signing with Tampa, um, which gives him some runway because they let, uh, you know, you know, playoff Lenny go. But he was considered possibly a top 10 draft pick. And he really fell from grace when he didn't get drafted. I think that running backs really need that draft stock. And I think he had some medical issues when he fell. Do you have any thoughts on Sean Tucker? Yeah. Where would he have been among running backs? You know, who was close to him before the draft? He was right between, he was right after Richardson, Mike Mayer and ahead of Mims and Tajay Spears. He was yeah. Going, so they thought he, he was going to be, sorry. Uh, he, they thought he was going to be a real significant player mm-hmm. and he ended up being totally undrafted. Why do you think he went undrafted? I think he had a medical condition or something that he wasn't able to practice. I, I have to look into it because it, it was a big fall. And I think he went to a small school and those guys, if you have a medical and you go to a small school, you kind of lose your chance to uh, shine. You know, now we're talking about he's going after Deuce Vaughn, the Cowboys and Dwayne Washington, who also fell, you know, from the blocking tight end for the Steelers. Like it's, it's pretty grim. Let's leave that that way. So he he might be an undrafted rookie, but he might be someone to keep an eye on when uh, the waiver is clear because who knows? Uh, a lot of people aren't sold on. Some people love Rashad, Rashid, Rashad White. Other people don't aren't sold on him. So who knows? Um, we talked about these other two guys last week. Zach Evans and Evan Gray were kind of lumped into that just a guy, but possible opportunity. And it's interesting because they both fell into the middle of the third round um, despite being an advantageous position, Zach Evans potentially could be the sure straight uh, handcuff to Cam Akers in LA and Evan Gray, the handcuff to Saquon. But these guys could be real bargains. I mean, they're worth a flyer. As I talked about last week, I don't know if they're going to last past the rookie year without getting replaced, but they might be big time values this year, despite falling. Okay. Just for clarity's sake, we're using average draft position to determine where they're falling to. Yeah, so like I got Evans fell 22 spots to uh, 30, 32nd player drafted in the rookie draft. That's how, if you're reading this, I know the, the the listeners can't, but just for your reference, I'm just trying to summarize it to not get too nerdy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eric Gray fell to 36, which would make him basically top end of the third round 
borderline fourth round, depending on where he goes. And then the other big faller, he fell for a different reason. Um, Israel Abakandi, a lot of people were high on him. He was actually going one spot ahead of Sean Tucker before the draft. Now he's dropped to 31 because not because of a medical, not because of a small school, but because he's a jet and he is now parked firmly behind Brees Hall and probably Michael Carter. And um, the Jets, you know, it's one of those things where the fantasy guys hate him because you're drafting too good. You're ruining all their value. But, you know, if you're a Jets fan, it's good for you. If you're a dynasty guy, not so exciting. But buried the lead. Let's let's close with this guy because there's a lot of hype for Anthony Richardson, especially already pulling away from Gardner Minshew. But what I found very weird in this draft I wasn't surprised when Will Levis fell. He was a big faller, dropping six spots after he fell into the second round. But C.J. Stroud went number two overall, as expected, dropped six spots. Bryce Young went number one overall, as expected, dropped four spots. Can you? What's your theory behind that? These these stud guys going one two, as expected, and falling in the draft anyways. People would have should have been projecting them to these spots, you know? I think it's the same mentality of why the NBA would draft middle school players if they could. It's because the more they find out about them, the more likely they are to find something that makes them not perfect. Now they're, instead of this dream of this player up in the clouds, now he's on a team with players around him that have faults. And they're going to have to work around those faults if they're going to be successful in the NFL. A boat's a boat, but the mystery box can be anything. It could even be a boat. And I think that's what it kind of sums <laughs> up what you're saying. Because you know, Stroud and Young, or sorry, Young and Stroud were 8-9 and Anthony Richardson was 15. They all basically went as expected to where they would go. Richardson's a top 10 pick and Young and Stroud have fallen out of the top 10. And it's just, it's, it's just weird to see that, you know, but Hey, they might be values now because, you know, I think a lot of it is um, reactionary where people saw what Jalen hurts, uh, Josh Allen, Justin Fields could do. And I think they're overreacting to the rushing floor with Anthony Richardson because people forget as great as this is the, these guys are fields didn't take off as a rookie and arguably Richardson's a more raw prospect. So I know I talked him up last uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, you know Strange Sykin there for the uh, co- as a head coach of the Colts, but you know Rome wasn't built in a day. So I could see Richardson getting overdrafted this year, disappointing a lot of people, and then coming on next year because he is a project. And even if he has the rushing floor, he might not throw the ball enough. It could be interesting roller coaster ride. So I think he's as overvalued as he might be this year. They're drafting him at his ceiling. They're drafting him as a top ten redraft quarterback now despite not being a great passer at Florida. Meanwhile, these other guys are good passers at Alabama and Ohio State and played against good competition, but maybe they just don't see him as the floor. But either way, I'll take a flyer on those guys if they fall to me. Well, a lot of it, again, depends on your scoring system. If you've got one of those brutal scoring systems where passing stats basically don't matter and running stats do, then, yeah, I can see it. But... um the kinds of leagues that you and I like to play in, Brian, emphasize passing statistics a little bit more. Yeah. And in those kinds of leagues, then I think it gives more quarterbacks more viability. Yeah, so you hear that, guys, in the FFFL. Um, feel free to fade Anthony Richardson so Joe and I can pick him up in the middle of the draft. 
<laughs> so while we attempt to manipulate the realities of our league baits, that's all the time that we have today for the Midwest Football Podcast. So thank you for joining us. To be a part of next week's show, email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to thank the eponymous Raymond for our theme, Running Home, and it can be found in all major digital music distributors. Thanks also go to Chris Brandley for all, all of our social media logos. But for now, the locker room is calling, and it's time for the fifth quarter. Until next week, we will see you later. I miss you already. 